Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to life immortal. Amen. Those words of the Collect for the first Sunday of Advent were penned by Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, the first Archbishop of Canterbury, who served from the 1530s to the 1550s. Arguably, it might be a little bit more poetic in the right one language, where we hear that God will come again to judge the quick and the dead. This collect every year brings us into the season of Advent, a season undergirded with penitence. We see it visually marked in that shift to purple. We are invited in this season, I think, to put on a set of spiritual trifocals. We embody first the yearning and expectation for the Messiah who was articulated in the Hebrew Scriptures. While we are preparing for the coming of the birth of Christ again at Christmas, while we are also in the same lens and on the same landscape looking for that second coming of Jesus. And I wonder... If on this first Sunday of Advent, there might be for us an invitation into a positive notion of God's judgment, in the sense that God's judgment is also God's promise. And also, if on this first Sunday of Advent, there might be practices for us that will help us as we seek to keep awake. Much of the scripture that we encounter in the season of Advent is apocalyptic, year B less so than in other lectionary cycles, but the language of judgment can feel intimidating. Priest and scholar N.T. Wright writes about this in Surprised by Hope, when he points out that, quote, the word judgment carries negative overtones for a good many people in our liberal and post-liberal world. But we need to remind ourselves that throughout the Bible, God's coming judgment is a good thing, something to be celebrated, longed for, yearned over, It causes people to shout for joy and the trees of the field to clap their hands. In a world full of exploitation and wickedness, a good God must be a God of judgment. End quote. Our elections appointed today call for God to come as judge, suggesting in Isaiah a violent in breaking into the world, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake 
at your presence. We hear words of similar power in the natural world in Mark's gospel. That in those days and after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven. Indeed, we're looking for the return of the Son of Man, drawn from that biblical imagery in the book of Daniel, in Mark's gospel. It is Jesus who is that Son of Man. Now, Jesus' disciples were surely confused by the signs of their times. Israel was under Roman rule. Contemporary prophets were spouting apocalyptic predictions, and folks were desperate for a Messiah who would reinstate the Davidic line and and establish in Israel a kingdom of its former glory. And in the midst of confusing signs and false prophets, Jesus warned his disciples, and I think warns us, to keep awake, to keep awake. What does it mean to keep awake if not to try to interpret the signs? Jesus is telling us we're not interpreting the signs, not fully. Instead, he offers us a parable. He describes a landowner going away on a journey and commanding the doorkeeper to keep watch The doorkeeper is instructed to stay awake with no instruction of when the landowner might return. Jesus concludes the parable with a word to his disciples, Therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn. Or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This injunction in Mark 13, to keep awake, it is intimately connected to the events that will unfold just a bit later in Mark's gospel in the Garden of Gethsemane. The pattern of time in the parable of the landowner It's not a 24-hour cycle, but it is that of evening, midnight, cockcrow, dawn, this four-part division paralleling the events of Jesus' final night, the Last Supper in the evening, his arrest at night, denial by Peter at cockcrow, and delivery to Pilate at dawn. Think of the resonances of that phrase, keep awake. Three times in the garden at Gethsemane, Jesus calls his disciples to keep watch with him. And yet, they cannot. This keeping awake in Advent is not a kind of passive waiting. Sometimes I hear the language describing Advent as a season of waiting. I wonder if we might think of it instead as a season of watchfulness, of alertness, of awareness 
into the invitation of an unfolding divine mystery. This mystery is personal and universal, offering glimpses of a boundless God in the midst of a groaning creation. And at the crux of human finitude and divine transcendence sits a holy uncertainty, the place in which we find ourselves. For Mark, the writer of Mark's gospel, makes it clear it is impossible to fix our eyes on the moment of messianic return. And so, in the midst of uncertainty, we fix our eyes on the one whom we can see, the person and promise of Jesus Christ. So how is it in this season of Advent that we might be more attentive, keep awake to the person of Jesus, to that sense of God's love incarnate among us? I wonder if we might experiment with a modified version of the Ignatian examine. Anyone familiar with the examine? Heard the word before floating around? Yeah, see some fingers. So it is drawn out of the spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius of Loyola, a 15th century priest who along with five others founded a religious order known as the Society of Jesus, or the Jesuits. He was a contemporary working in a different country than Thomas Cranmer. So the offering of our collect, the offering of the examine, happening at the same time. And the examine is quite literally examining your day. Giving thanks, reflecting on the day, seeking forgiveness, and resolving to change. Giving thanks to God. Perhaps you stop, maybe with your Advent wreath at home that you're about to make, and light a candle and ask God to show you where God has been at work through people and landscape in your day. Note those moments of spiritual consolation, something that is deeply and genuinely good for us and our souls, something that draws us closer to God, and spiritual desolation, those unhealthy places where we substitute other things for God. Think of consolation as life-giving and desolation as spiritual death by a thousand paper cuts, death dealing. So we've given thanks. We've examined in moments of consolation and desolation. Then you seek forgiveness, asking God's forgiveness for those moments, those times in which you've acted contrary to the call of God's love. And then resolve to change. How will you show up differently tomorrow? I want to invite you to join me in this practice during Advent, and perhaps maybe even beyond, because I wonder if as a community, 
cultivating this practice, which you can do alone, or you might do at the table where you eat supper in your retirement community, or maybe you might do with your children, or a partner, or a friend. I wonder if this practice might support us in keeping awake, in being attentive to the movement of God's Spirit as we prepare ourselves not only for the coming of Christ again at Christmas, but also for the judgment of Jesus' ultimate return as he comes to judge both the living and the dead. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at thechapelofthecross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.